listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and this week we're bringing you a conversation with Amon Milner. The World Wide Web came to life when Amon Milner was just a high school student in Portland. Recognizing the exponential increase in computing, Milner studied and taught computer science at USC and earned a master's in human-computer interaction at Georgia Tech. After a PhD at the famous MIT Media Lab, Dr. Milner joined the faculty at nearby Olin College of Engineering, which, by the way, was recently recognized as the most well-regarded school of engineering in the world. With the rise of artificial intelligence, Milner thinks it's critical that we engage diverse voices to ensure equitable treatment and to get more underrepresented groups into engineering schools. Milner suggests in order to do this, we must start early, like in kindergarten, with coding and problem solving. Let's listen in to learn more from Tom and Dr. Milner. Amon Milner, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great hey, to be here. Great to be back on the campus at uh, at Olin. Uh, we're we're in uh, Seattle, but it sounds like you went to high school in Portland. Yes, I did. Did Did you have a good STEM experience in high school? Uh, as a computing professional, I did have a good experience in that the computing industry was growing at an exponential rate at that time. So that means that, of course, most schools weren't prepared right. for it, but I did make a choice in the school that I went to. I did a magnet program where I went to school in downtown Portland, and that put me in proximity to companies, and I was able to work mm. as a full-time or a programmer over the summer and part-time during my school year, so mm. where I could supplement what my high school curricula had yet to implement, I could learn out in the field while I was doing high school based on um, location. So I did have computing classes, and I was able to learn the basics of uh, the web. And, the, and it was at a time when the web was, you know, not much more than Yahoo's web page. And uh, I was able to uh, complement that with actual work. Uh, did you you uh, you went to USC for undergrad? Uh, did you study computer science? I mean, did you know that was the path? Uh, because I was so excited by the opportunities presented by a wide open field where there were so many things that needed to be determined. Uh, and I enjoyed my experiences working as a programmer in high school in all the courses. And I even ended up teaching a lot of the courses because uh, I could be an aide to the instructor who was borrowed from the math department. So right. I uh, and I did know that I wanted to pursue computer science at the University of Southern California, and I think that really did help my application that I was already sort of established in that field and could find my way into a, a program that would uh, further let me explore uh, a field that I was passionate about. So after a master's at Georgia Tech, uh, you did a PhD at MIT? That's correct. And what was the focus of your, your doctoral work? Well, the... Georgia Tech Masters was in an up-and-coming field at the time called human-computer interactions. And that was very important because doing computer science sort of scratched one itch right. for me, but I was always looking for this should be in some way empowering people, and the human couldn't be separate for me. So having, at the time, four programs in the country that had human-computer interaction, I really gravitated toward those 
programs to study what ways were this, the, the psychology of humans informing the field of computing and how could that make better applications of computing. So studying that at Georgia Tech, they only had a two years HCI master's program at the time. And in that process, I found the MIT Media Lab wanting to bring together most of my passions in one particular program. The Lifelong Kindergarten group there was starting a programming language for kids that wanted to look at making programming more accessible and incorporating identity into the computer programs, like putting the human into it. So Scratch was a media-rich programming language that had been proposed prior to my coming there. Uh, they won an NSF grant. They wanted to do programming in ways where a young person could take a picture of themselves and modify the picture using code, and they could really feel like they're a part of it, and they would want to share that program with others. And I was really captivated by such a proposal, and I uh, had a really good relationship with the director of the Lifelong Kindergarten Group, Mitchell Resnick, and it was a, a great honor and opportunity to go study with him for my uh, doctoral program. So I, I want to dive into this this um, this subject of empowerment. So this is like 10 years ago or so, even maybe starting 15 years ago, and why empowerment was important to you and and why it was sort of emerging in the field of computer science. But let's start with you. What, what do you think it was about the subject of um, human-computer interaction, but more maybe more deeply the, the sense of empowerment? If we got into a lot of the specifics of what it's like to be a young African-American male growing up in Portland, Oregon, we need a whole other podcast right. for that. <laughs> uh, so I'll keep that part shorter. However, I can just uh, suffice it to say that the opportunity landscape is very different for certain people based on their ethnic, their economic, and right. you know, geographic backgrounds right and uh the the history of oregon reveals a lot of like that was by design and um and so i had experiences that trickled into my generation from um a lot of decisions that were made in the state of oregon that trickled to portland where i grew up and understanding that the opportunity landscapes are established differently I saw an opportunity in STEM and in particularly computing where there was an open area for exploration where there was there were no practices for people to be excluded because all hands needed to be on deck. Everyone wanted to get in on what was known as the World Wide Web and it was growing. So opportunities were abundant. And there hadn't been baked in practices to say, you look like this or you come from here, so you're not needed and turning away people. So if you could produce pages for the web or databases for a company, then you were welcome because everyone needed that. So people didn't have the luxury to pick one over the other. So I saw emerging technology as an opportunity to occupy spaces that didn't have a chance to establish practices that created imbalanced access. We may be at that point now, but when I was a young person in Portland, Oregon, at the time, my resume and my portfolio could go in front of me and 
people didn't have to see a young African-American male that may have a certain hairstyle that may not get you interviews in other places like banking. So one of the reasons, if you fast forward to why I teach at a cutting edge engineering college is because the emerging areas often have this property where if you are occupying a space that's just being defined, I found that in digital fabrication, where there's all hands need to be on deck. You can get young people excited because things that are cutting edge are attractive and it's the latest and greatest. Um, you can relate it to what they're seeing and what excite them and you, you can invent the future. And if you can occupy those spaces, a lot of times you can get people on board before doors have been closed because the walls haven't been built yet to have those doors that can be closed on people to create the different opportunity landscapes. It's just, it's interesting how your own personal insights, I think, prove to be timely and important as the, uh, the field of computer science emerged 10 years ago. And, and now it feels we're, we're in this new wave where machine learning has really uh, surfaced as a powerful change force in almost every part of life. And it feels, mm -hmm. again, like it's time to address the issue of access and empowerment. I think the example of machine learning that you bring up is a powerful one because we live in a society and in fields in which it's not addressed that what machines are learning mirror what people are teaching the machines right. and the data that they're providing carries the human element and there's a lot of information and data that has, is based on human conditions that are inequitable. Right. And when that's baked in, you don't see it and don't look for it as much because people think that because math was involved, it leaves out all possibility of bias or of inequity. Uh, but really, the math is only operating on the data that is generated from a human design. What data set was included? What went into that data set? And so I think that because we don't often look at those points, it's important to have diverse teams that have perspective of how data was collected and what implications that has on people. So with machine learning, we get facial recognition right. and you get people that have different views on, I'd like my face to be recognized and the data sets provided don't cover the face of all genders and our skin, all skin shades at the same rate. Right. And you have some people that appreciate that and you have some people that think, you know, everyone should have an opportunity to be recognized uh, and that the data should cover the full representation of human life. So I believe that because we are in a point where machine learning is the field that is attracting as much talent as it is right now, it's important to make sure that people that are going to fight for, let's interrogate the kind of data that we're using to help these machines learn. Let's make sure that how we're applying these machine learning algorithms treats people fairly. And let's think about what's at stake when you have these as the engines of self-driving cars 
you'd like it to be able to recognize all people that might be in front of a vehicle, right? right? So these are questions of the utmost importance, and we're really in a point where lives are at stake, and we have changed over the course of the 10 to 15 years that computing has grown because when it was a new frontier, I mentioned it being more open and people with a portfolio can get on board. Now we're at saturation where people can be choosing who is at the table and who's not. And we understand that Silicon Valley is representative of a larger problem within computing is that it's not very diverse along gender and racial dimensions. And we are seeing the results of that in terms of who these machine learning algorithms are being tuned to serve. And because their application is not just on that demographic, the self-driving car needs to protect everyone around it. It's of the utmost importance. It's not just self-driving car. It's uh, it's who goes to jail, who gets a loan, right? Who uh, starts a business. It's it's healthcare. It's every aspect of life. So we, we have to be really conscious of where does the data come from? How is it collected? What biases uh, implicit in that data? And as you said, that only happens if we have diverse teams that are building and exploring these new applications. And, you know, I, uh, it is important to note these things because, like, as you mentioned, it affects so many facets of so many lives that uh, it, it's worth coming up in conversation and coming up in curricula. Right. At the Ola College of Engineering, one of the things I appreciate is the ability to make connections across fields uh, and the idea that an engineer here is not the definition of the strict definition of what an engineer uh, would be if you looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary. We try to develop engineers who happen to have mindsets that can blend with entrepreneurial mindsets and ways of thinking and is, uh, and an appreciation for a variety of human conditions. And we think that having entrepreneurship and engineering right next to each other is a way to understand that when we have engineering, entrepreneurship, and humanities all coming together in the education of a student, we want them to understand that any one of those things doesn't define who you are. And you have to operate at different times in different settings with understandings from each of those different disciplines. And it's the combination of them that allows you to make the kind of decisions that help us avoid some of the pitfalls of technology going out into the world that we just spoke about that affect a lot of people. How, how would you describe the approach to education here at Olin? What are the key elements? The Olin experience has hands-on work and a lot of it involves not just the students interacting with the equations that are in a textbook or the problems that have been handed to many generations of engineering students. The curriculum requires young learners to apply what they're learning with groups of individuals who are very different than they are so they can understand the needs 
of the people who will be affected by their engineered systems. Every student is exposed to understanding how it means to be collaborative, how it means to be user-oriented, what it means to design for all Olin students are exposed to numerous activities through their four years here that have them thinking in a user-oriented capacity. We have them being collaborative in different configurations of teams from the moment they walk in to the moment that they leave. We have them thinking of the needs of different users from fourth graders all the way to capstone projects that may involve corporate partners or may involve uh, developing regions and communities that are trying to find entrepreneurship and, and to capstone projects that involve developing regions where people are trying to find entrepreneurial opportunities to change their conditions locally. And through those experiences, Olin students have a better idea of what it means to work on teams in, in a variety of situations, uh, work across disciplines, work with people who don't see things the way that they do and figure out how to get past some of the roadblocks with that. How would you, um, how would you describe the approach to computer science here? It feels like there's a mixture of sort of just-in-time coding, uh, but also the opportunity to go deep. Computing at Olin starts typically with a software design course that introduces the students to the intersection of computing and many other fields of study and facets of their life, from medicine to political science to social justice to robotics. Computing being at the center of what we call the computing flower, where all the petals are many other fields, disciplines, and practices, allows them to see that when they understand the core ideas of computing, which is breaking down problems, being able to build up processes and procedures to address the needs of a problem in a particular domain and draw on the knowledge that others have provided, I think that they get a great exposure to interdisciplinary computing. And they really can imagine new fields because when we were talking about my upbringing 10 years ago, 15 years ago, computational biology wasn't a field. And right. you see the emergence of new fields that have the name computing attached to it. There's going to be newer fields that have computing at the core right. of these fields. Not and we need to prepare the students that can already think about how is computing intersecting with the existing set of fields and how will it be the foundation for new fields moving forward. So we try to set the table in computing for the people who can lead or occupy and influence the fields that haven't been invented yet. So as opposed to graduating people who are going to be very good at traditional engineering, we also have to keep in mind that we are providing graduates with tools who can navigate newer fields or even establish 
fields that haven't been created yet. It's um, a great a great summary of uh, the the fact that almost every field is becoming computational, right? So um, that integrated approach sounds really valuable. When um, that introduction to computing that includes um, that would include introduction to some computing languages, but also uh, data science and machine learning strategies. The way that we prepare students to go past the introductory experience is we give, we provide toolkits that allow you to explore aspects of computing that you might want to use in your final project for the class, or you might want to pursue in further classes down the curriculum or in your free time or in graduate studies. And some of these toolboxes that we expose involve machine learning. Some of them involve music generating algorithms. Some involve deploying things to the web, or uh, others involve doing um, you know, uh, secret messages and cryptography. So we can't cover all of the aspects and sub-specialties within the computing field, but we can give people a choose-your-own-adventure opportunity right. that allows them to get a taste of the different areas within computing that are relevant or interest of interest to them for their immediate studies or exposure that might come in handy later on as they're dis deciding upon upper level courses. You've talked a couple times about um, the importance of, of, uh, of, of access, of accessibility uh, and, and empowerment. I, I was pleased this morning when I took a lap around campus that uh, it looks like it's, there's uh, gender parity here, that, uh, it looks like you, you work hard to make sure that you, you're gender balanced. Um, that's not yet true at, at all engineering schools. Um, maybe you could talk about what, what we could be doing and let's start in American high schools to uh, expose more women and young people of color to engineering fields. And so let's talk about high schools and then colleges. To, how could we make uh, both of them uh, more empowering for groups that have been historically underrepresented in engineering. You asked the question about high school, and I'm going to sidestep it a little because most of my external impact work and the things that I've been a part of in creating opportunities for younger students to have computing or engineering experiences targets younger ages than high school, and that's by design. So trying to approach kindergarten as an engineering exposure studio is an opportunity to pick young people up when they're still playing with all genders in the class, when right. they haven't formed an identity, when people haven't told them that they can't do this yet. Right. And the more you can expose people to ideas in a fun way when it's not high stakes, high stakes testing for them just yet. It's, this is something that I enjoy doing. I try to provide tools that reach as far down the K through 12 system as possible so that people can have an affinity and have it be an option as a part of their identity. I get this. I'd like to do this. And I remember having fun with it so that by the time they are in the high schools and they're having conversations with guidance counselors about where they should be, what they should pursue, 
And if they're ever asked the question, what type of things do you like to do? And I'm not sure if guidance counselors ask that all too often because I sympathize with that field because they're often overburdened in the, the high schools that I care about. Uh, but if that question does come up, I'd like people to be able to fight for their own schedule and say, you know, if there's an opportunity, I'd like to pursue some of the STEM. I, I did robotics when I was younger. I'd like to pursue that here. I really enjoy the coding experiences. Do we have coding? And I'd like young people to have the memories where if asked what they would like to do, they can respond with some of that. And I'd like it to be social at the young age as well so that they can feel like if they say that, then their peers might be saying the same things and they won't feel isolated in the classes because if the experience of young students of color and women is constantly, I'm the only one in this class, I opted for this, but everyone else doesn't relate to me, doesn't look like me, it feels awkward to be here, that is a greater problem than the interest in the topic. So if people have great experiences, they want to pursue it more, and they can feel like they're not going at it alone, and that other people are are pursuing those as well, and it can be fun, and that will help not just those students uh, be able to sustain engagement in the STEM areas, but it will also go a long way towards giving the all of the people in the room different perspectives with which they can design uh, so that they've had experiences with the needs of others here in different approaches and different perspectives. I think it's not just making a better experience for the young students of color and the women who actually um, have a good time in those classes, but I think the classmates that are already there um, will have different, will have a variety of different perspectives and, and you will be able to minimize the one person having to speak for an entire race or an entire gender, which is tiring. Uh, what, what would great middle grade, middle year experiences be that you'd like to see all kids have? We oftentimes have a school day that makes young people focus on different topics for 50 minutes right. and then switch and then switch and then switch and does not take time to underline or emphasize that the topic that you took in first period is related to the topic that you took in sixth period and here are the connections right right for example math and physics could be talking about the same concepts but using different greek letters and different terms but we would gain a lot if we actually s took more time to explain that there's a connection across history and math and physics and what you're reading in your literature class. And the more integration that we can have, the better, the more prepared we can be for people to understand that the connections between history, like the more connections that young people in the middle school grades can have between their topics and between the disciplines that uh, they see, the more prepared they can be to becoming a nuanced uh, STEM professional that looks across and identifies areas where this has already been solved in this other field, or I really shouldn't pursue this without considering the historical 
context or the backdrop in which is being deployed. These are all very important skills that we are trying to develop within only students, but we can get a huge assist if we have young people more prepared to see across disciplines and sort of see through some of the barriers and uh, that have been put up between the disciplines so that uh, content can be more easily tested or so that um, they can learn about something in isolation. I'm sure there was a system that was developed that had a lot of great things in mind, but the consequences of having the separation of all these classes has dire effects on people not being able to connect them. So um, when I'm asked to you know, consider what should be in a computing curriculum, sometimes my answer is maybe there shouldn't be a computing class. Maybe you should have computing be a part of most of your other classes so that it mirrors what is happening in the real world where we're seeing computing become a part of every field so that it should also match the, the education that young people are getting in middle school and before. So I love visiting Olin because the learning that happens here is inspiring and hands-on and integrated. Are, are you optimistic that more young people will are beginning to get uh, a, a taste of what young people do at Olin? Is this, are these ideas spreading? I'm excited and encouraged by the work that happens at Olin. And I focus my work on making sure that it can get out to young people through a variety of ways, whether that's entrepreneurial with um, unruly splats being something that I was able to work with former students from Olin and Babson College uh, to get a product out into the world that targets young people learning how to incorporate computing with physical activity and play. And Olin provided a space for me to do that because uh, they encourage faculty to be entrepreneurial so that we can also teach that. So uh, I think that Olin provides the conditions for professors to get things out in the world that is in a different form than only academic papers. So I appreciate that. Uh, and hopefully things like that can reach far. I also want the learning opportunities that are at Olin with our 350 students. I love what happens here, but I'd like to see that it's mirrored or it's affecting as wide of a range of students as possible. And I'm encouraged by some of the partnerships that we've developed because we understand that colleges that don't have a residential component like we do have different constraints and considerations. And so working with the University of Texas in El Paso, uh, where there's a larger commuter population, those are the kind of things that I'm encouraged by that Olin is trying to do to make sure that our laboratory isn't only limited to suburban Boston, that is informed by experiences with other campuses in the United States and across the globe that have a similar desire to make a different kind of engineer, but different demographics. And I'm encouraged by the work with the University of Texas El Paso and other universities where we have partnerships, where we want to take the same curriculum and provide the same type of experiences. We are working with a different set of students who have uh, different needs and abilities and perspectives, and they're working in different communities. And all of that helps inform how we shape our own curriculum and how we shape what we try to share with our global partners. 
and what we hope that other institutions are learning from, even if we don't have a formal partnership. So I am encouraged by the work that we're doing here and hope that it can get out through uh, whatever channels we have available. Yeah, Juan, we, we really appreciate your work here at Olin, uh, your, your approach to computer science, the way you're thinking about it in a integrated, applied, hands-on way. Um, it's obviously having a big impact for young people here, but uh, there, there do seem to be colleges and universities uh, around the country, in fact, around the world, uh, taking note. So um, we're, we're not the only ones that appreciate your work. Thanks for, thanks for being with us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. A big thanks to Dr. Milner for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast. As always, be sure to leave us a rating and comment about what you enjoyed about today's episode. We love reading your remarks and it helps us get better. You also should make sure that you're subscribed so that next week's podcast can come right to your device and it'll be ready for your listening pleasure. All right, that's it for today, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.